0: Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'll be there in just a few moments. Let's all stand at Philippians chapter 2 this morning. I have a lot of favorite texts in the Bible, and Philippians 2 is one of them. And this is one of my favorite Christmas texts. It may not be immediately evident, but if you are thinking about it as we go through this, I think that you'll see why it is. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul, speaking to a beloved church, says this, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any, fel- any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There is the incarnation. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Our Holy Father, we pray these next few moments as we, Lord, look into Your Word, that Lord, we might find encouragement and hope, Lord, inspiration, Lord, to follow Your admonition, and then, Lord, to appropriate Your instruction to our lives. Lord, we thank You for this time together. We have the intent and the desire to worship and honor you today. And I come, I pray in the next few minutes you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. Christmas is a holiday that has grown from a humble beginning to I think what could be fairly said into a worldwide phenomenon And that would be especially true here in the West. It really began as an idea in some small Scandinavian villages in Europe. And of course it took for its inspiration the birth of Christ. Um, It really began with people giving to orphans uh, some gifts, much like we're trying to do uh, here's the church family in the next few weeks. It was popularized in the last century. Really, the Christmas idea that we know is a relatively recent historic phenomenon, probably propagated in the early 1900s, mostly here in the United States. And of course, much of the incentive behind Christmas was to bolster retail sales. And, uh, you know, that's somewhat of the motives. While Christmas today is about lights and gifts and giving, And holiday cheer, all somewhat benign things, not necessarily negative. Uh, Sentiments are attached um, to things that you and I can identify with the idea of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Christmas, the holiday, is not something the Bible commends, Um, but it is an occasion where we, as the followers of Christ, have chosen to reflect on the birth of Christ. You know, any time of the year is appropriate to remember Jesus, to reflect on the Incarnation, of course His life, death, and resurrection, and, you know, using a holiday for part of that is, I think, probably appropriate. But with all that said, most of us, I think, really enjoy the Christmas season and its festivities. I love the family traditions centered around Christmas. Um, our family has a number of traditions, and a lot of them sit around just being together. Um, we have gone out to pick a Christmas tree, I think, for the last 30, 35 years as a family, mostly to engage in the fight that ensues in picking the tree. But we also take some pictures, and some great memories have been made together. Um, I enjoy the special times we have together as a church family. Yesterday, our class got together. And it had a wonderful time of fellowship, and, and, and we all really enjoyed that. I think most of us enjoy singing some of these holiday Christmas songs. I um, say this all the time. The greatest Christmas song of all time is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I'm sure it will be on the schedule no less than two or three times now between now and Christmas. <laughs> I love the theology of that song. Um, I like the lights and decorations. You know, we have those in here. Um, we have those at our house as well. I like gift giving. You know, the simple truth is more blessed to give than receive. And the older we get, the more we understand that it's fun to buy gifts for family and the grandkids. It's, it's altruistic. It feels good, and it is a genuine blessing. And the Bible passage we're looking at today, though, is one that I have set aside to preach during the Christmas season. Um, every Sunday, again, is a reason to celebrate the birth and resurrection of Christ. But choosing to reflect on the advent of Christ I think is beneficial. Um, I think that there is so much to be um, had in trying to grasp the Incarnation and what it means. Uh, There are a lot of really neat Christmas texts about this, about Jesus being born. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, "'For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called, and I love these descriptive terms of our God, wonderful and counselor, the mighty God, and the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke uh, chapter 3 describe for us the genealogy of Christ and, 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 and the way that God. Um, brought Him into the world, as Galatians 4 says, in in just the right time, in the fulfillment of time. In Matthew 1 the Bible says that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Then it goes on to describe the circumstance in which Jesus was born. And it says in verse 21, And Mary, speaking of she, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus. And of course in the Hebrew that means Savior. And the Bible says, For He shall save His people from their sins. And from these texts, we can learn a great number of things. As we think about the advent and the birth of Christ, there are many lessons that we can learn by focusing on this specific part of the ministry of Christ. Um, We can marvel how Scripture and prophecy uh, dovetail together in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even the place He was born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But thou Bethlehem, Thou, though thee be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come. He come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, what, what an incredible thing that the Bible prophesies a child to be born who has been since forever. And of course that is Christ. We could study, as we have done several times, the incredible sovereignty of God through Jesus' lineage, um, and these family trees we see in Matthew 1 and Luke 3, uh, how that Jesus is the only person in the world who could have been the Messiah. We see that through his parents, who who were both from the descent of David, uh, one from the lineage of Solomon, therefore having a royal claim to the throne, and other through David, through Nathan, having a legal claim to the throne, that these two Genealogies came together to uh, uh, allow for Jesus Christ to come forth with every right to claim uh, the fact that he is Messiah as God in the flesh. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing to study. And of course, we could study um, <clears throat> the purposes of Christmas, if we want to put it that way. We could talk about the purpose of redemption and reconciliation. A child born to die for us, the just for the unjust, that He, Jesus, could reconcile or bring us back into fellowship with God. And there's many things that are worthy studying during the Christmas season about the advent of Christ. But here in Philippians two, Paul uses the incarnation, the birth of Christ, for another reason. And a reason and encouragement that I want to give to us today, and that that encouragement is to inspire us to be like Christ. Whatever else we are to be, we are to be like Jesus. Whatever else our goals are in life, we are to try to be more like Him, to follow in His likeness, to follow His footsteps. Uh, to walk in the way that he did, and as a text, so eloquently says, to have his mind and heart. In Jesus' birth, Paul sees for us an example of what all Christians are to be, and here's the word I'll use today, to be humble. To be humble. To be self-abased. To be selfless not to be driven by self-interest, self-seeking, but alive and living for a person and a purpose beyond ourselves, bigger than the purposes that often mankind lives for. We are to live for Jesus and for the good of others. Everything about the birth of Christ epitomizes and focuses our attention on humility. The place of Jesus' birth was Bethlehem. Today, we are so used to hearing about the city, but at this time, it was obscure. It was obsolete. It was, it was a city of no notoriety. The only claim to fame that Bethlehem had, that Micah proclaimed that it, might, it would be the place of a Savior to be born. But it was an obscure place. The circumstances of Jesus' birth were incredibly humble. Born to peasants, uh, to a carpenter's son. Um, in incredibly humble circumstances, uh, Jesus chose to be born, if you will, in a stable uh, to ignoble people in, in, in a great level of poverty. No place for Him in an inn. Celebrated on earth only by angels to whom, uh, by shepherds to, by whom angels made that proclamation. Jesus' beginning, His life, His death were all accomplished in the greatest possible humility. And Paul is asking us in this text to live the same way, humbly. Let's look at Philippians 2 for a moment in some detail to see what Paul is commending here. And Jesus Christ is an example for us. The Philippian church, of course, as we know, was loved by Paul. Uh, this church was started by the Apostle Paul. Um, he had a special affection for the Philippian church because they always supported Paul, even when other people fell by the wayside. The Philippian church always had, had a hand in supporting Paul, often through the hands of, of Epaphras, who would often send gifts to Paul since supplies while he was in jail. Uh, there was a special affection between Paul and this church. Um, however, As noble as they were, the Philippian church was made of people, people like us, who loved each other, but there were still some minor divisions within its membership. And uh, divisions can be a destructive force in anything. A house house divided cannot stand. So Paul encourages them in verse number 1 with with this kind of emphatic appeal. And verse 1 is just filled with this appeal. He says, if there be any consolation in Christ. Uh, this word consolation comes from the word paraclesis. We would know that from the, uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit being the paraclete. Para mean alongside, parallel. And the idea here is if, if, you have, if, you, if you have any knowledge that Jesus Christ has come alongside you and he is a helper to you. And he has assisted to you, assisted you, and he has saved you. If you have any idea that the paraclete has been given to you, if there's any consolation in Christ, Paul's saying, since God has come along your side to give to you, to help you, you might want to respond to that. He said, if there's any comfort of love, this word is similar, it's paramuthion. And it means a response that is a result of love. Because God has loved you, in response, there should be something that you initiate. And so Paul is saying, since God has come to help you, and because God has loved you, there's something that I want you to do. And that's be humble. Jesus wasn't prideful. He didn't engage in squabbles and quarrels. He didn't fight for prominence or position. He didn't defend himself at others' insults. He didn't seek his own purposes, but God's. Paul is asking us to follow the example of Christ. He's appealing to us in our identification with Christ to be humble. And it's quite the appeal. If there be, therefore, any consolation of Christ as come alongside you, if there be any comfort of love in a response to love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if you identify as being his child, if you have a heart to serve the Lord, then be this be humble. And the outwork of this is to get along with people, but be humble. Don't let your life be about self interest or tooting your own horn. Instead, he says this, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The idea of strife is self-interest. It sounds like fighting, but the idea is um, the fighting that comes from self-interest. Don't let the things that you do be about always winning, having your way, getting what you want. Don't don't, don't let life be about you. And this idea of vainglory should be humbling to us. It means don't be the kind of person who thinks themselves something when they're nothing. OK, that's the idea of vainglory. You're acting like you're something. <laughs> and This is hard on contemporary Western Christian ears. When in reality, you're nothing. In the Greek, it really means this, when you're little. Don't act big when you're little. Isn't that instructive? We get so upset over things we think are big, but God says, that's little. Don't be so consumed with all these things, those human pursuits, because those are vainglory. It's little. God help us, the majority of our life is about little things. Little fights, little battles, little things that we've made so big in our world. Jesus had none of that. It's not what his life was about. Paul presents this incredible juxtaposition of ideas, self interest, and thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, versus lowliness and humility, living with a sense of littleness, but the importance of others. In the grand scheme of things, <laughs> we're little. Our opinions are little. We insist on having our way in little things. Our causes are little. Our purposes are small. And seeking and secure the things we want, we're just being small. And Paul's encouraged this rather than that, live for something big, for something important, something that is great. And you can only do that and achieve that through humility. In the text, Paul. Um, is saying, let's talk more about self-reduction and the de-inflation of ego. And let's be humble. Humble in the way that we love people and serving people. Deferring our, our pride, our opinions. Let's get along with others. Let's lift other people up. Let's cooperate with each other. Let's stop quarreling over all the little things in life. Let's be like Jesus, who came alongside people to love them and to help them, even at a great cost. He made himself poor that others might be rich. He needed all of this because of his humility. So in verses 3 and 4, Paul is saying, "Let's let's reorient our priorities Let's see ourselves in the mirror that doesn't magnify us, but rather reduces us to this place of humility. Let's humble ourselves because Jesus did. Because Jesus lived this way. And then the rest of this text goes on to describe the humility of Jesus. How did Jesus humble himself? Let's look at verse number six. So Paul's just given this, this whole thing, hey, let's, 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 let's grow smaller. Let's, let's be less concerned about ourselves. Let's, let's live for other people. And they held up Jesus because he says Jesus did this. Jesus was humble. And here's the beginning of the description how Jesus was humble, verse number six. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is, a, this is a very difficult phrase in the Greek, but I'm going I'm to try to unravel a little bit. Part of it's easy. Jesus was in the form of God. The word form means essence. Essence. Jesus was the essence of God. Okay, He's deity. That's easy to understand, right? Jesus, now it's, let this soak in Jesus, who was the essence. He was God. First of all, he is the creator of the world, sovereign and king. This next phrase means this. Um, it, It means to grasp, sort of like maybe a robber would at something. It means to try to hold on to something. Here's the thought. Though Jesus Christ was God, He was majesty, He was sovereign, He is King of kings and and Lord of lords, He was the creator of the universe, He is majestic and holy and awesome and wonderful. Though He was all of that, look up here, He let it go. He let it go. He didn't grasp to maintain this equality with God. He didn't look look here. He didn't insist on his rights. Hey, I'm the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Treat me that way. Now one day he will demand that. <laughs> and you won't have a choice about that. But in his earthly life he let it go. I love the phrase. He let it go. God, help us the way we grasp it. This is my right. You talk bad about me, so I'm going to, you know, it's the way you treat me. It's the way you talk about me. You don't say that. You don't belittle me. You don't, you don't marginalize me. Jesus let it go. Think about what he let go. And what in the world are you grasping at? Though Jesus was deity, the essence of God, had majesty, rights, and privileges, and awesomeness, Jesus did not demand to be treated that way. He did not hold on to these things. Though He was creator, king, and ultimate sovereign of the universe, He didn't insist and demand that humans treat Him with dignity or respect. He let it go. And in verse 7, he stepped down. He let it go, and then he stepped down, verse 7. Look there with me. (laughs) But he made himself of no reputation. It's It's just his idea. Here's who he is. And he came all the way down and made himself of absolutely void of reputation. I'm talking about, that is humility. Humility. He stepped down. He let go and he stepped down, and the word literally means emptied himself of privilege. Emptied himself of privilege for other people's sake. This was a necessity for you and me to become, in verse 7, a doulos, a servant, the washer of feet, the friend of sinners to have no home, to not revile back at those that reviled at Him. This was an incredible dissension, a condescension of unimaginable magnitude from the height and pinnacle of all things to the bottom of all things. This was the incarnation. This was Jesus' birth. This is the Christmas story born in Humility. Yeah, we talk about the incarnation and it is an incredible theological truth. God becoming man. God tabernacled. It means clothed in flesh as deity. I mean, when Jesus chose to, he could let the Shekinah glory of God, as he did on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he chose instead humility. He could have walked around with beaming lights, But he didn't. He didn't wow people with his personality. Now, he served them. Theological discussion is warranted, but here in the text we are asked to consider it practically, as an example of humility and lowliness. A character trait to emulate. Here's the way Paul says in verse number 5, Let this mind, this example, be in you. You gonna live like a Christian? Then think like this. Let go and step down and love and serve people. That's Christmas. Let go. Step down and serve people. Let this mind be in you. But the, the condescension does not stop there. That's just the beginning of Jesus' humility. He went from God to man to loss, and then he went further. He went from, he went further than just being lowly on the human scale. And it was lowly. Men would mistreat him, the masses would turn against him, his family didn't understand him, his friends would forsake him, the Pharisees would condemn him, and the Romans would kill him. And he endured all of that in humility. When at any time he could have called ten thousands of angels to his rescue. But he didn't grasp at who he really was, equality with God. He let it go. He instead, as 1 Peter 2 and 3 articulated, he committed himself to God, who is the righteous judge. You know, I'm just going to be humble, I'll let God fix that. And I'll let God address him. And this may be unjust today, but God can fix all the wrongs. And that's what he did. He was humble because he was asked to, and we needed him to be, because otherwise we wouldn't be saved. Verse number eight, and being found in fashion, in words, he was a man. He humbled himself, yet further is the idea. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross he humbled himself even to death the implications of that is beyond our understanding jesus christ let go and he stepped down to suffer the indignation of the cross But more than that, on the cross, the sins of humanity were imputed to him. He became everything wicked and despicable about Troy Durrell and Butch Corley and Kathy Fivash and everyone else in this room, multiplied into the billions. For all of our diseases, all of our diseases suffered the consequences, the ultimate consequences of all our sin, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In other words, it was the purpose of God. He humbled himself enough there to experience our hell. So you and I, in faith, would not have to. Okay. Humility. Humility. What is it you're fighting over? What are you holding on to? What indignity are you suffering that's got you so all up in arms? Hebrews says it very succinctly You know, um, you've not resisted yet unto blood, and we haven't. Now, people have, and we might one day. But we'll only do it if we're humble. And then Jesus says, Paul says, okay, let that mind be in you. Hey, look up here. Is that challenging or what? That overwhelms me. Because I have to win the fight I'm in. And if I marginalize, it bothers me. And people not nice to me. It plagues me how incredibly little are the things that preoccupy our minds and hearts. And he just let it, he let it go. He stepped down. He lived for a bigger purpose. And Paul says, let that mindset be in you. That is the message of Christmas. Living a life for the benefit of people even when it's hard on us. To live a life that's an offering to other people Choosing to have this spirit of lowliness so that other people can be exalted and helped. You, know, you, you can't help people if you don't give of yourselves. And that takes a degree of littleness of self and bigness of others. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And oh, how we faint in our minds and squabble and fuss over such little things. So what was all of this for? What, what did humility accomplish? Reconciliation between us and God. And then practically speaking, to develop a mindset for us so that you and, all, you and I can get along with each other. And how many churches have failed at that? A thousand applications, but how about this? we just model Jesus' behavior enough so we all can survive in here together unscathed. Relatively unscathed. That we can endure a little bit of not getting our way, of of maybe being marginalized and overlooked, and being okay with it. Letting some stuff go and stepping down, And, and maybe even suffering a little bit. Well, I've done this and no one's seen me. I, God did. Just be humble. We are so arrogant. So full of pride. How about this? Let let this example of humility be be something that you try to follow in kind. And you're not going to have to suffer any of the indignities that Christ did most likely. I know this in these degrees. This this is what allows us to have peace with God and each other. This is what Christmas is teaching. That we should not think so much about ourselves. The incarnation. I'm God. I'm omnipotent. I'm omniscient. I'm on a throne. Read Revelation. Unimaginable splendor. But for the sake of people, I'm going to step down the, from the throne. I'm going to keep going down and down and down for your sakes." Whatever else Christmas teaches, it's that. Humble yourselves. Not to think so highly of yourselves. Jesus' example um, is that we should follow His likeness in mind. We should endeavor to be like our Savior who lived His life, an offering and sacrifice for others. We should strive to get along, to treat others with respect, Not to not to esteem others better than ourselves, to make our life about doing good, to make a difference. How about this? Let me finish. If you want to give those around you an incredible gift this year, mom and dads to your kids, husband and wife to each other, families to each other, and to this church, and to an outside watching world. Give them a more humble version of yourself. You know who gonna change this world? Not the mighty. Not the politicians. Not the famous athletes. And not the rich. But the humble. You know why they're gonna change the world? because God gives His grace to them. He resists all the pride in the world. Their splash is this big for that long. But you can live a life of eternal impact. So act that way. Begin to give and to serve and to help. Let your life be a resource that other people gain strength from so visit the lonely. Be a help to the fatherless and the widow. Be a friend to the outcast. Be kind and gracious to the undeserving. Minimally, let's be nice to people who aren't nice to us. Be little. So God can be big in you. That's what Chris is about. It was about letting go and stepping down and humbling ourselves for the sake of other people. Let me ask you to stand, if you would.